edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things for you here on a Monday afternoon. Jeff, Woody and I had to call a little bit of an audible. We had invited Scott Docterman from The Athletic on to break down Saturday's Cyhawk matchup over in Iowa City. And then Jeff and I talked for nearly an hour about Saturday's season opener against Southeast Missouri. So we decided to break those podcasts up into two pieces. This is part one, diving into that season opener. We talk a little bit about Cyhawk at the end, and then you guys will get, uh, on Tuesday, you'll get that interview with Scott Docterman, nearly 40 minutes diving into that Cyhawk game, telling us a little bit more about the Hawkeyes, how he sees Iowa State matching up with Iowa, uh, and so on down the line. I thought that both of these were really good conversations that you guys will really enjoy uh, here during Cyhawk week lead up to Saturday's game at Kinnick Stadium. But first, I do need to remind you guys that Football and Random Things is brought to you by our friends at Wiffles Hybrids. When it comes to selecting your seed corn partner, you've got a choice to make. At Wiffles Hybrids, we've made a choice too. A choice to remain independent, a choice to remain farm family owned, a choice to stay American. So when it's your turn to make a choice, make a statement, plant your independence, plant Wiffles. Thanks to Wiffles Hybrids for being the presenting sponsor of football and reign of things here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Let's break down SEMO with Jeff Woody here on Football and Random Things. Jeff, I think that this was just about exactly what the doctor ordered on some level where there was not a ton of stress. There were some different opportunities to work on some different things for Iowa State. Uh, But at the end of the day, you were the more talented team, the deeper team. And that made for a pretty stress-free afternoon in Ames. Oh, I mean, it was it was about as good as as both the fans and Coach Campbell could have wanted. Because I think the fans, what we want is we want to see, you know, 74 to zero. Like every that's what you want to see as a fan. But as a coach, if everything's perfect, then you have nothing like then you kind of get lulled into that false sense of security of like, all right, well. There's nothing really to correct. Good job, everybody. So now, like, you almost want some friction. You want to have this, hey, if, you know, we did this poorly. This was not good. And if we don't fix this, then you've got much worse outcomes in the future. So they had, like, offensively, they were up and down the field. I mean, the first half was beautiful by Hunter Deckers. Everything was gorgeous, but they couldn't run the ball. I mean, I, I, again, we're, and we're going to get into this. It didn't seem like they were really trying to run yeah, the ball all that much. Run the ball. Yeah. I think they only had like five rush attempts in the first quarter and a half and they still had, ended up with three touchdowns and 200 yards passing. In the entire first half, they had eight rushing attempts. Yeah, and I think in the fir- most of those came in like the last two drives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the interception drive ex- excluded. But During like, the first three touchdown drives, I think they average uh, Hunter. Well, I know X averaged 22 yards a catch. So when you can chunk it down the field, averaging about 20 yards a play, you don't need to run the ball too often, it turns out. Yeah. Well, and uh, again, we'll get into the the schemes because there's a couple questions we got on Twitter that like we kind of have to like not have to address, but like makes sense because it seems like there is a lot of under like questions on it. But like generally, the thing that Coach Campbell is going to like is that they won comfortably, but they got to see a ton of guys on the field in actual game situations. And there were very clearly things that weren't good enough up to the standard that they want to have them. So they have teaching film and being like, look, Hunter, if you deliver one late and outside or late to the outside and you leave it inside or you you don't put enough zest on it, ball's going to get picked off. I mean, Riley Moss isn't going to fall down. Jalen Knoll is not going to be able to run down Riley Moss. That's a touchdown if you do that next week. You mm-hmm. can't do that. You know, like you have those opportunities to say, 
we did great. We won by 32 points. It was never in doubt, but, and so, I mean, this is exact. it's the right kind of season opener that you've got really good things to encourage on and some pretty bad things that like are easy to point out and fix on film. And outside of that, uh, that, that interception that you mentioned, I mean, near perfect, uh, debut start for Hunter Deckers, 25 of 31 for 293 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, like I said before, you know, average 11.7 yards per completion. I mean, he was, he looked as good as I think anybody could have hoped he would. And he put the arm talent that we've heard so much about on full display a couple times with some of those throws that he made to Xavier Hutchinson. Uh, there was one throw that he made to Darren Wilson on a uh, kind of a, it's a, a deep, deep cross. Deep, yeah. Like a deep cross across the field. And man, he didn't even take a step into the throw and he just kind of, I don't even like he kind of flicked it. He just flicked it out there, man. He just kind of spun it out there. And uh, that's like, that's big time stuff, man. I, and I, I was rewatching the game this morning and I was like, man, that is a throw that you just like most people, you don't see that many people are making that throw like yeah. in that way, the way that he did without taking a step kind of hopping forward and just flicking it out there, putting it perfectly where it needed to be. Yeah. Like that was, that's the thing that, you know, they talk about arm talent and you know, we've, we've been talking on here. Like I've given the example of it's the, the Brock Purdy being more in the conventional Matt Ryan mold, the, you know, call it Peyton Manning too, where like arm talent. It's not, that's not the thing that he's good with. He's mm -hmm. good with his brain and he's good with his moxie where Deckers is the Josh Allen mold where you're like, dude, you have, you have even, you don't even know how good you are because physically he can absolutely make every throw. And that was the thing that we wanted, you know, it's easy against SEMO when I don't think he got hit until the middle of the third quarter. Like legitimately, I don't think that he got physically hit at all, whether it's on a pressure or whatever. Maybe there was one play. I think the one where Cartavius Norton had to like catch a little or Eli he got, Sanders. got tangled up at his feet, but he didn't really get hit. Right. And so like you have he it's easy to have that kind of composure and timing without pressure. So when you play Iowa, you play Baylor, you play Oklahoma State, which their defense didn't look great when they played. But like when you play these better defenses, are you still able to keep that? And like if he can keep operating that quickly and that efficiently and that confidently, Iowa State will win a lot of games because when you have a quarterback that can do that. You know, the expression Herman would always use it when we were there. Timing and ball placement beats any coverage. If you can get the ball out on time to the right spot, exactly when and where it needs to go, it doesn't matter what they're doing. That's the Steph Curry shooting a 44 foot three and it goes in and you're like, dude, there, you can't play a defense that works on that. And like Hunter has that talent and it was really cool to see that it's there. And now again, like he played really well but he had that one interception. So like he's probably not super satisfied with that game because he was like, I mean, we did so well, but like that, that field goal at the end of the half, that was my fault. I did that. That was on me. And so like the, you know, it, it is a totally different offense from last year just because of what he can do physically. And it was just really cool to see like all the stuff that we've been hearing is 1 million percent true. Yeah. The pace of decision-making was really impressive. I felt like, especially on some of those early plays where they were throwing it underneath a little bit. I mean, he's putting the ball right where it needs to be every single time. Oh yeah. You know? And even and, some and, of the, even yeah. some of the incompletions too. Like there is one where as a uh, jail, one of the, where Jalen uh, motions in the backfield and it's a swing pass. That was, there was an incompletion that was Jalen's fault. He, mm -hmm. he ran the route too flat 
where Brock or not Brock, um, not the first time I'm going to do that. Not the last time I'm going to do that where uh, Deckers put it up the field for him. He was too flat. He was trying to throw him up the field and he just Jalen was too like that. That incompletion wasn't like even that incompletion was on the money and the receiver was in the wrong spot. So like, yeah, but I mean, everything was just on the money and on time. They ran the offense really fast too. That's the other thing that I liked was the pay. Like even on their first drive, they, you know, they get the interception after, uh, after Shimo had been able to drive down towards the goal line and uh, they got called for a false start right away and then ran a negative play, uh, tried to run that swing pass out to Jalen uh, to Jalen and, and it was stopped pretty easily for like a loss. So it's like second and 16. Uh, they threw one out to X, got eight yards, hustled up the line, threw another one for eight yards. And it was like they were playing fast, you know, and mm-hmm. I was just so impressed with that, that they you know, even in those situations where they'd kind of get behind the chains, the pace at which they ran the offense was like, man, this is, they're moving, you know? And, uh, I don't know the, the other thing that just blew me away, the effortlessness of which he throws the football. There's just like some people, you know, some people are, were born to shoot a basketball. Stephen Curry was born to shoot a basketball, the effortlessness of which he does things that are insane shooting a 40 footer, you know, and like, it looks like he's shooting it from any other spot. That's what Hunter has where the ball just like jumps out of his hand a little bit. And he doesn't look like he's putting that much effort into throwing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, and it's, you know, the, the thing that we had speculated all season is players formations plays. Who are your best players? Well, Hunter Deckers is obviously, he is one of your best players. Well, you probably, I would say Xavier Hutchinson's the best player on the offense at any yeah. position. So, all right, he's one of them. Jalen Knowles, another one. Uh, okay, well, we got two of our best players being wide receivers. Probably Jirel Brock or whoever's playing running backs, another one. So we got to keep those guys in the field. And I thought Darren okay. Wilson and Demetri Stanley were both impressive as well. And I think Sean Shaw played really well too. Yeah, yeah. And so, then even Easton Dean, you saw him get in the mix a little bit as well. And, Sean Hanneke, yeah. I mean, he caught a touchdown pass. It, the The offense was good. And so like yeah. the way that they wanted, the way that they're running this offense is the way that the personnel want this offense to be run. You know, like they're not trying to force, in the, in the first half, they ran it really open. It was one tight end most of the time like they're in 11 personnel most of the time every once in a while they would have uh jared russ out there with easton dean or they would run in uh stevel klotz and have him in there with russ or whatever like deshaun hanneke comes in like every once in a while they'd be in 12 and then in the second half they i think they wanted to see more of the heavy sets to see what they could do uh, when they needed to run the football because they were in a position where they could just kind of like try some stuff and see if it works uh but in the first half, they ran the offense really open. And they said, all right, Hunter, what can you go through your reads? Can you deliver it accurately? Can you deliver it consistently? Can we pass protect the way we want to? Can we do the things that we're expecting to do with this offense and run it the way we want to? And the answer is a resounding yes. And mm-hmm. we were hoping that that was going to be the case where they would be able to go down the field. And I mean, even just the presence of Dimitri Stanley on the field, like there was a, t- that, there was a, a defensive holding call that prevented a touchdown like very clearly that was a db knew he was toasted beat and so he gripped dimitri stanley you know he grabbed his arm like intentionally being like if i don't grab this dude it's going to be a touchdown 
the simple fact that that is a threat, an adequate threat because of how accurate Deckers had been and how explosive, I, I mean, granted, it's hard to tell with SEMO because it, you can only tell speed relatively, you know, like Olympic runners look slow when they're finishing in eighth place in the final because the guy that's winning gets run like nine, eight and the, the loser air quotes is running like 10 flat. And you're like, okay, this look at this slow person. So it's all relative, but Iowa state's offense looked really fast again, potentially it's relative, potentially it's truly fast, but the speed that they had out there, the accuracy and timing that Deckers had that holding call of pulling everybody. Like, I, I think that was after the first touchdowns happened. Um, but like just the threat that that exists down the field, the presence of Dimitri Stanley being able to go down the field, the presence of Darren Wilson being able to go down the field of X being able to go down the field allowed everything underneath to happen. So like it is, it's a totally different offense and it's running the way that Decker's is Decker's skill set is set up to run. So it was, yeah, it, it was, I don't know. <laughs> the first drive, the touchdown that X scored, I leaned over, I was watching the game and I actually have tickets. And so I was sitting with Aaron and her family and I turned to Aaron and her dad. And I was like, this game will not be close. Like you just saw that crossing route. And it was like, they Simo is so outmatched just athletically. It is not close. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the last thing I'll say about Hunter and then that, that passing attack, I was just really impressed to hit the rate that he went through his reads too, of getting from it's boom, boom, not there, dump to the running back, move on to the next one, you know? And it never felt really like there was a moment where he held onto the ball too long. And that was something as good as Brock was, he had some of those moments where you'd be like, man, Brock's really holding onto the ball for a while, you know, and like trying to do those things back there. I just felt like Hunter made decisions really quick. That was just like, it was another one of those things that impressed me. And obviously again, the defense, you know, not, it's not Iowa. We're going to learn a lot, I think uh, this next week, but I was just really impressed by the rate of decision-making and how that kind of played into his success as well. I felt like. Yeah. And I think the thing that's, that was interesting, you know, mentioning Iowa, the thing that Iowa does that forces you that, that makes it bad on you is their front seven is probably the best uh, that the best non Georgia or Alabama front seven in college football. I would even say they're better than Ohio state, better than Notre Dame. I mean, it is Georgia, Alabama, Iowa are probably the best three front sevens. There are corners. Riley Moss is really good. The other guy is pretty good, but not great. Their safeties are probably, if you had a weak point in this defense, it's the safeties. But when you have a front seven that is going to get in your asshole as fast as that team is going to get there, it doesn't matter. They, they can leave open, not necessarily leave guys open. They can be more aggressive in their coverages because they know you got 2.7 seconds before one of our defensive linemen or one of our linebackers is going to get to you. The thing that teams, I mean, everyone always mentions Purdue. And the reason why Purdue has success against them is because Purdue runs an offense that is timing and rhythm. And you have a guy at quarterback who's just going to deliver the ball to the spots where it needs to go to. And then I'm going to have a receiver that's going to be competitive enough, competitive enough to go get it. This offense, the way that they ran it in the first half is that offense that is built sort of to attack this Iowa defense, which is neutralize their front seven by ball is gone in 1.8 seconds or whatever it is. Ball's gone. Doesn't matter. You can't 
you can't not, you can't get a sack because even if there is no lineman there, you're you're not going to just get there before the ball's gone. So it neutralizes the capacity to hit you. And then the second thing is is they run relatively vanilla coverages. They're going to run two. They're going to run four, and they're going to run two man under. And every once in a while, they're going to run a cover three just to throw it at you. And then on the goal line, they're going to play goal line seven, which is just seven zones across there. I can tell you that right now. It's the same thing they they did in 2003. It's the same thing they're doing now. They're just, they have better personnel to do it with. So you know what they're going to run. It's not that the decisions are harder, but the speed that they make you make the decisions with usually pushes people faster than what they want to. And teams like Purdue can usually go, I'm not scared of your defense because I'm going to get the ball out before you do. Hit me if you want. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to sling it right over your corner's head and cover two. I'm going to put that ball on the money. And so what's a little bit encouraging is that in theory, this offense again is built sort of to attack that defense. Now, again, it's different when you actually play in Kinnick. I mean, there's South Dakota state had 12 penalties and for only like 65 yards. And what that means is most of them are five yard penalties. So procedure penalties delay a game because you can't hear what's going on. Iowa state will be much more prepared to deal with this, but like, I'm encouraged going into the week because the offense and how it can run is such that you can attack Iowa in a way that they normally are weak and susceptible to. So on paper, this seems like a decent-ish matchup with what we saw from Iowa State on Saturday. I was just going to say, this is really probably the first time in several years going into this game where I sit there and I'm like, and I actually think they match up pretty well since Jacob know? park yeah. and J- the Jacob park year was the last time. And they scored what 38 or something yeah. like that. And yeah. that type of offense, because uh, it takes I mean, it, uh, quarterbacks beat Iowa. That's what it is. It's quarterbacks beat Iowa. Especially with this defensive front again, their front seven and, and you know, a net, Cardinal glass is off. I think uh, Iowa has a substantial advantage in the front seven versus Iowa's offensive line until you get them out of it. Like until you start pushing the ball down the field, attacking the weaknesses in their coverage, and they have to start pulling linebackers out of the box because they are, they will hang on to that scheme as long as they possibly can. They're going to play with three linebackers, even on third and 12, like they don't run another guy in. And maybe even if they do run a guy in, he's a 210 pound safety. Like he's still a big safety. So you have an, a, a defense that wants to run its defense. And until you get them out of it, they will keep running it. So without the, again, Cardinal color glasses off, if the the only way that Iowa State will be able to do this on Saturday is if they play like they did in the first half, because they will not be able to do it in the second, like the, their second half offense, where they ran the two tights, they ran the downhill stuff, basically what they've done the last couple of years, they're not going to be, you can't out Iowa, Iowa. You mm-hmm. cannot just stand there and punch them in the face because nobody is as talented as that defense, except Alabama, Ohio State, maybe. You know, so you're going to have to do it in a way that they aren't uh, that they are more susceptible to, which is run it like you did in the first half. I would and I would have to imagine that that probably I mean, if I was going to guess which offense is the one that is the most likely to be deployed the most by Iowa State, I would say that the version of it in the first half, you know, but I I do want to ask you, what did you think of what they did in the second half? I felt like you know, you look at it, they ran the ball 28 times, five and a half yards of carry. Uh, Jarrell Brock ran the ball really well. Uh, what he finished with 16 carries for 104 yards and uh, in a touchdown. And most of that was in the second half. How'd you feel about 
the way it looked once they really made a decision that they were going to commit to running the football and trying to work on some of those things. No. So it was really good. They, uh, when they wanted to, they were able to, to get Iowa state's running, whoever the ball carrier was, they're able to get the ball carrier to a level where they can just start making plays, you know, like that usually first contact was at like three or four yards. And if your first contact is at three or four yards, you're doing a great job because at that point, I've set up the blockers where I need to. I've actually held onto my blocks where I need to. I've angled where I actually need to go to. And now I can just make a linebacker miss. Or now I can just act, you know, work on a safety. And so that stuff is where when they needed to, they could. Do I think that that, that style? I don't. I don't think that that is their best offense. Unless you're playing a team, let's say Kansas. I, I mean, Kansas looked fairly good um, in their as as outmatched as SEMO was, I mean, Tennessee Tech. SEMO beat Tennessee Tech last year. We'll put it that way. Oh, they are so bad. But at the same time, Kansas looked better. But where you probably still have an advantage on Kansas is the same place you have an advantage against SEMO, which is we have more bigger guys than you do. And so in that case, that's how Iowa State has just beaten the shit out of Kansas for the last X years running versus other teams in the big 12 have sometimes like had them had closer games is because they can just flex on Kansas. They can say, we're bigger than you. We're stronger than you. Let's go against Iowa. That's a terrible strategy. You cannot mm-hmm. out Iowa, Iowa. You're not going to be able to stand there and punch them in the face against Kansas where they have an advantage. They actually have a decent secondary. They're they're Both of their safeties are pretty good. You might not want to just start stand there and sling it around against Kansas. You might want to flex their throat. Just go. All right. We're going to out physical you. So the fact that I think they were probably deliberately trying to get practice and reps on both of them. I would imagine the majority of the offense this season is going to be more in the first half offense than the second. And then another question that we were getting on Twitter is that what, how would you rate the run game generally? Like not even just in the second half. And because, you know, I think at one point they only had like 12 yards rushing and, but they had 200 yards passing and three touchdowns. If you're SEMO, and you are scouting this Iowa State team, you have what, four years of film? Maybe that you three years of film that you'd go back and look that are pseudo-reasonable to go back. What has Iowa State been for the last three years? Three consecutive years. Multiple tight ends, really heavy running game. So what should you do if you're going to try and scheme against this team? I, I think the only, yeah, you could sort of read press clippings and maybe say this quarterback's different, but I'm going to bet on the fact that they're going to run the same offense that they did last year. So when you go back and rewatch it, look how tight to the line of scrimmage their safeties were for especially like the first quarter, quarter and a half. Like they were eight yards ish off the line of scrimmage. And if you're eight yards ish off the line of scrimmage, that's more or less a nine man box because I mean, depending on how wide your splits are with your wide receivers and who has cover and whatever, but you have an eight or a seven to nine man box or whatever in there. Why would you try and run against that generally? So you know that you're, that you have the advantage outside Let's just throw it. Why do we even need to attempt to run it into something that we know isn't going to work? And so a lot of times where these these initial run plays would happen, sure, there would be a missed block or two or there is an angle that wouldn't quite work. But just by leverage, it's probably not going to be a thing that you should do. And so their better offense is just, all right, until you back your safeties up, we're just going to keep throwing it because we're better than you at every position, quarterback, receiver, tight end. We are better than you at every position throwing the ball. I dare you stay up, stay at eight yards. And we're just going to keep slinging it and keep slinging it and keep slinging it. But then eventually they had to, they forced them back. And then in the second half, 
they got to the point where we're like, Hey, we, we got to get some reps and just running the football. So they were still running it into this kind of heavier defense, but they had a 25 point lead. So it's less of an issue if it doesn't work. What did you think just generally of the play of the running backs, all four of them? I thought, uh, Jirel was the best. Um, he was the most consistent in the first half. He was still a little tentative. Like it still kind of looked, you know, when I was talking about like you're driving your buddy's car or you're, and it's not your own. He yeah. still kind of operated with that. And I think somebody jumped his ass and I don't know how he's motivated. Cause I'm not like, if someone yelled at me, I would have been, my first instinct is like, man, piss off. I don't, I don't respond to that. Like coaching wise, but if someone were to have come up and be like, Hey, I expect more from you. That was soft in the first half. You're better than that. Then I'm going to come out with my hair on fire with whatever hair I have left. And Jirel, someone got to him in the second, in the first, at the end of the, like at halftime, because he came out five times more aggressive in the second half, which is going to be really good teaching tape to say, look how, when you're aggressive, look what this does. See how much more fun that is. See how much more successful that is when you're aggressive, be aggressive, put your shoulder down, bounce off people go versus in the first half, you're trying to wait for something to happen and trying to be Brees Hall. You're not Brees. You're Jirel Brock. Go be Jirel Brock. And uh, I think that was really impressed. So I think Jirel was probably the best. I think Cartavius Norton before he he did something to his hamstring. He was, and he was cramping up from what, and it looked like they were trying to stretch him out on the sidelines. They're giving him water. And then Coach Campbell said it was more of a cramping issue than anything else. I'm guessing, I think they probably looked at it and it's like, all right, well, you got a couple good runs. Now you're cramping up. We might as well not risk it. Yeah, not not worth it. Yeah. And hopefully that hopefully that is the case where it's just a cramp. Um, and so depending on how much that releases, we may or may not see him this Saturday. Fine. But I think Jairo looked great. Cartavius looked great. Uh, and then Eli Sanders looked pretty good. I, he was still, you could tell the game was really fast for Sanders and Norton both. Like Norton just freewheeled it. I mean, he, he was just like, all right, here you go. Number five, go run go do some stuff versus Jirel was much more on the money is where that, where he needed to be, where he's supposed to cut at. Um, and then I was a little surprised though, that Dion Silas didn't get much run until really towards the end of the game. And if I had to guess a reason why is because they wanted to get those other guys reps because he probably Silas probably based on the way that he ran when he was in. And when he was in last year, he tends to go off script more than they would like. Like if it's a, if it's a stretch play to the right, your job is either hit it front side, or if you want, if, if there's nothing there, then you're going to try and cut straight through the middle. And if there's absolutely nothing there, your last and most desperate option is to pop it all the way out the back door. And so he would do stuff like that, pop it all the way out the back door against where the play is supposed to go, which looks cool. And you can run for 38 yards and still only achieve four yards of gain because you've just spent all your energy doing other stuff. So he is super explosive, but I'm guessing they like the other guys because they're more on script. They're more, this is what the offense needs to be. This is where everyone's expecting you to go. And I don't know if it's sending a message or if it's like a little teaching moment, or if maybe he might have, cause whatever he was dealing with in the spring, maybe they just didn't want to subject him to too much contact because they have something, to, but I don't know the reason why he didn't get as much run, but I would imagine it will rectify itself as the season goes along. But I thought generally the running backs played pretty well, especially in the second half. I mean, I think if Jirel plays the way that he did, I mean, too often, you would think that that rotation will get smaller. I mean, I would think that he'll continue to get the ball more, you know, oh, yeah. I thought he, yeah. I thought he ran the ball really well. I mean, especially in the second half, some of those runs that he made where he was 
he had two or three people, you know, grabbing onto him and he's, he's spinning out of there and things like that and still getting seven yards. I mean, that was impressive, you know? Yeah. As he gets more confident and more sure of what his, what is his playing style? You know, like in the same way that like Brockington last year, it took him a few games. Like he was a star, like from the jump, he was kind of the guy that could go get it. But until he got to like the middle of the season and he was like, I really like, I mean, the offense works and I really like getting them to the mid range jump shot on the left side of the court. And if I have to, I can do it on the right side of the court and I'm going to be up in the, the, you know, the, the offensive players personal space. And I really like playing aggressive defense. And like, that's what makes me feel comfortable on the court. Jirel's going to do similar things. Like, does he like to play through contact? Does he like to spin off contact? Does he like to, you know, like that he's going to feel what he's going to figure out. And, and the more confident he gets, he's going to understand what kind of what flow he likes to operate with and what, how he likes to play, which is just going to make him better. So this next week's going to be tough on him. I don't think I would be shocked if Iowa state runs for more than a hundred yards this Saturday. Be, I mean, I'd be shocked if they're 75, I mean, yeah. 80, you know, like, and if they, if they do, it's going to be in situations where it's keeping them honest more than and it's keeping them honest. Else. And, yeah. and, or if, if they're doing their work in the passing game, I will, will adjust. They, they do. They just, if you score one touchdown on tap touchdown on them through the passing game, they're going to come out the next drive and play exactly the same. They're going to be like, all right, you know, you're playing horse, you make a bank shot. All right. Redo. I dare you redo that one. If you then do it again, then they can go, all right, fine. We'll adjust off of that one. So you're it's, if they're running the ball a lot more or running it successfully one, that's a great sign because then you're able to push Iowa around. I don't expect that to be able to push Iowa around. So it, it's either to keep them honest or you've done your work in the passing game to back them out of the offense, the defense they normally want to run. And then you can do the stuff you want to do. So yeah, I, I, I hope that his confidence level, Jirel's confidence level doesn't really take a hit after this week, because you could tell he was getting more comfortable in the second half. He started to figure out what he liked. He's playing through contact and then, you know, pull him out games over pretty much go Deion Silas, go Eli Sanders. So he was hit. It was promising, especially yeah, as the second half went along. The play that he made on the sidelines where he launched the guy's ankles oh. and out to Nevada. That was a, that was a tough look for my boy. uh he was one foot away from like one one yard away from that one making sports center yeah like there's because that would have been one of the highlights like one of the few highlights that like oh we're breezing around the country and you know iowa state versus southeast missouri and then they show that play because you know he broke like 13 tackles on the way down he didn't score a touchdown so people aren't going to remember that all all, a ton but that was a mean crossover yeah like that was a that was a like you look at him that's in basketball that's the crossover where you look at him and that for like half a second and then you shoot the three. Yeah. While one of your other teammates like half-heartedly closes out. He's like, oh boy, I have to at least try and act like I've got my boys back here. He just uh that I it the it was he the one that got hurt too? Because I th- I don't know if that was an ego injury. Cause I think the guy that I, I he, think that he it tossed was. to the sideline, I think that was more an ego injury that like you uh if you ever see a running back who fumbled. And then they're kind of laying on the ground for a little bit. And then they like have a exaggerated pronounced limp on something that you can tell they didn't actually hurt. That's because they got a boo-boo and they think a boo-boo is an injury because their feelings are hurt. I've been there. I've been there. That That's the ego injury. So yeah, he, he probably wasn't. I mean, again, I don't know. I might be, this might be insensitive to a, an actual serious injury, but like, 
I don't think that he was actually hurt. I think he just got his feelings hurt because Jirel tossed him all the way to Marshalltown. All right. Uh, really quickly before we switch over to the defense, uh, quick evaluation of the offensive line, how you felt about that group by and large. Again, it's hard to, I think, evaluate this uh, too heavily and dive too deep into it, but what do you think of that group? Pretty good. I mean, they. I think they did what they needed to do at the times they needed to do it. Because in the first half, again, seem look how tight everything for SEMO is. A defensive, the defensive formations they have are really tight to the line of scrimmage, which is daring Iowa State to pass. So it makes sense to pass, which is why they had such few rush attempts. And even when they did, it wasn't super successful because there was just numbers. There was too many humans to actually block. And again, every play is designed to score. So if you do everything perfect the entire game, every play is a touchdown. Great. But... I, again, I think Hunter Deckers maybe got contacted one time in the first half and it wasn't even that hard of a hit. And so if you rack up, I mean, they had 258 total yards with 238 passing yards and they had, they scored three touchdowns on, I think it was maybe only five drives, one of which being an interception. So you have three out of your five drives be touchdowns and you rack up 238 yards or 238 passing yards. You're doing okay. So they executed what they needed to. And then in the second half, yeah, they ran for 5.9 per 5.9 yards per play and 5.6 per carry. So like they were doing all the things they needed to do. But again, it's hard because I was totally different than this. And even by the time they get to Ohio, Ohio is going to have a different game plan because they're going to see two games. They're going to see SEMO and they're going to see Iowa and they're going to go, okay, this Iowa state offense is not like last year's Iowa state offense. They're way more three receiver sets. They're way more quick game. They're way more getting the ball down the field. We can't play like we were expecting to play if we were to play them last year. So you're going to get a different look from Ohio, from everybody from, from that point forward. So it's going to be a little bit easier to tell after the Ohio game is kind of an easier judgment to say this offensive line is doing well or poorly, but they have an opportunity Again, not to bring it back to Iowa, but it's Cyhawk week. If they are able to run the ball on Saturday with, I mean, if they get to a hundred yards, if they run it for three yards of carry and get to a hundred yards, that is a damn good output against this defense. So they probably, we'll see. do you think if they do that, they will have won the game? If they get to a hundred yards, a uh, hundred yards rushing. The odds I, of their of winning will have increased will exponentially. substantially increased. Yeah. Now you can't force it because, you know, you don't want to, Right. whatever i i think and and we can talk about this kind of after we get through the defensive sort of what they, what iowa state would need to do uh to actually win the game this week but um it's it, offensive line is hard to judge in one game against this scheme so i thought they did pretty well i was pretty decently satisfied with them but again you can kind of throw it out until week three or four all right flip over to the defense uh rough first drive the professor's gambit in full uh in full tilt until Colby Reader tips a pass on a down inside the goal line. Tyler uh uh Tyler Onyedim, Onyedim, I think is how he's Onyedim, uh comes up with his first career interception before he gets his first career sack, uh playing the defensive end position. And uh from there on out, basically dominance, I think, from Iowa State's defense for the most part. Not a whole lot of uh, going on for the Red Hawks outside of Paxton's Paxton De Laurent uh, running for his life. That, and I, there were times, 
So like general schematically, I, I think to address something that I think a lot of fans will just use as a crutch is like, oh, we are holding stuff back for next week. Of course you were. So two things. One, of course you are. Second, no, you're not. Like both there's equal answers to this question. And and here's a here's an analogy for this. So if you're playing, if you're a, a PGA golfer and you have you're hitting a seven iron and you have to hit a seven iron hundred and what it's a 200 yards. I don't know how far a PGA guy is going to hit a seven iron. So let's say it's 200 yard par three. If you could just hit a nice, easy seven iron dead straight, put it 10 yards or 10 feet from the pin. You don't have to do anything fancy. You don't have to try and put a hook on the ball or a slice in the ball or whatever. You're going to hit 175 or 175 yard or whatever straight shot. If you're playing at a different course and you can do the same thing, you do the exact same thing. When you get yourself in trouble, and you're playing out of the rough and you have to bend one around a tree, that's when you pull that shot out. You're not going to bend one around nothing. So you're only going to do as much as you have to do to get the job done that you need to get done. You're going to hit it 175 and straight. The football equivalent of that is if you can get away with winning the game, playing base defense, your defense knows that the best. Your players understand that the best. They know their assignments. They're the least likely to give up big plays. They're the most likely to get the things done fit perfectly because every blitz is a little bit of a gamble. Every rotated coverage is a little bit of a gamble that somebody doesn't get it right or they they exploit a weakness that they have. So if you can play base, you play base. You don't try and do anything more than you have to do more at like every other sport would be. So they weren't necessarily, I don't think they were holding anything back like deliberately. They're not going to be like, hey, you know what? Scratch plays X, Y, and Z off the call sheet. We're just not going to use those. They were playing base. They got a, gave up a bunch of yards in the first drive, got a turnover, and then they could came, come back and play base on the second drive and get a stop. They can play base in the third drive and get a stop. You don't need to do anything more than that. And the thing that they then get the luxury of doing is everybody knows their base defense for the most part. I mean, that's what they're going to practice their spring ball through summer through fall camp. So you can start rotating. I think at one point there was one drive in the end of the second quarter where uh, Orion Vance was out. It was just... I think it was just Gary Vaughn was the only starter and they had 10 backups in for during that start of the drive. Uh, CMO starts to advance the ball. They then sub their whole defensive line out and put their first team defensive line back in. They drive a little bit farther. Anthony Johnson comes in the game. So like they're able to evaluate different personnel because they're able to play a base defense that doesn't require a lot of gambling. And you can get a pretty apples to apples comparison of, you know, the position battle at, it was a Jeremiah Cooper, Jeremiah yeah. Cooper, and then, and Verdun were like, yeah. those are the two guys that are probably still battling for a safety spot. So we're going to give them both a ton of snaps, play basically the same defense who did better. How did in each situation, how'd they do? So I think that they were playing a vanilla style because they could get away with playing a vanilla style and still accomplish the thing they were doing. So the fact that they gave up a few more yards than they were expecting to, Sure. Fine. They gave up 6.2 yards per play in the first half. Not great. Like that is not a necessarily a good statistic. It's not terrible, but it's not great. Uh, then in the second half, they gave up 3.7 yards per play and only 74 total yards. So eventually they made some little adjustments to kind of tweak what they were doing from their base defense. But for the most part, they were just playing, how do we get as many guys as we can? So then the other question, a lot of people on Twitter were asking was why was there not more pressures? I think they only ran one blitz and they ran that blitz a few different times, but it was only one specific situation, which was they would line up in a cover zero look or a cover one look, meaning 
for those that aren't 100% sure on what those numbers mean, that's the number of high safeties. So a guy that's not playing man-to-man with anyone. So if I say cover one, that means there's one safety back. Everybody else is either blitzing or playing man coverage against somebody. So you have cover zero means that there's nobody deep. Everybody's just straight up man-to-man across the board. And if you don't have a man, you're rushing the quarterback. So they were playing, they would line up in a cover zero or a cover one look with everybody really close when it was like third and two. And then they would blitz out of that. And that's when uh, Paxton would like do most of his scrambling. And most of the big problems that they had was because they blitzed everybody. He would break contain and then run for 15, 20 yards. So I would imagine that that was one of the the gambles that they made was, Hey, we're going to run cover zero, but Anthony Johnson or Bo Freeler or Colby reader, you're not going to go. We're going to bring you back and just leave you as a spy when we get to that cover zero look. So I think they ran base cover one, cover zero look. And then every once in a while, shook it up with a different play, but defense did fine. They did what they needed to do. They held a team to 10 points, three of which came off an interception inside the red zone. So basically they gave up seven points. So I mean, you can't really, can't really fault them for much. They also too had, they did have eight quarterback hurries. So it's not like they were just completely, you know, they didn't have any sacks, but like they're still making his life difficult at times, you know? And there was no, I'm pretty sure there was only one holding call in the entire game. And that was on when Cartavius Norton like reversed field completely. It was on Trevor Downing. Yeah. Which that's going to happen. Like you, you totally flip field that linemen don't know where you're going, but (laughs) I mean, as is every week, I think Will McDonald got tackled by an offensive lineman like six times, but I mm-hmm. think that officiating crew just wasn't a, just wasn't going to call holding calls. They they just, for whatever reason, didn't like, there was one where he got it, it. I don't remember the exact outcome of the play, but he, it was a stunt where he came kind of through from his defensive end position, basically straight up the gut. And the guard had him by the bottom of the nine and his elbow was by his, the offensive lineman's elbow was by his head. And on riding his back, grabbing the number nine on the front side of his shirt. Like that is the the textbook of holding. They just didn't call it because that crew wasn't going to call holding. So they were doing what they needed to do. It wasn't as bad as they, as, as sort of it felt like it was because they were just running. They were seven iron, 175, middle of the fairway. That's all they were trying to do was just, if I don't need to hit a stinger that bends 70 feet to the right. I'm not going to try. I'm just going to do the thing that I need to do because that's the only thing I need to do. Well, let's talk about the, uh, challenge ahead for, uh, for this week. Um, Iowa with the debut of their revolutionized passing game by their, uh, analysts that came in from Wisconsin on, on uh Saturday against South Dakota state seven to three, win over the Jackrabbits. The offense produced three points. The defense produced four. Uh, what do you th- want to see from the Iowa State defense going into Saturday? God. I ha- I've i only watched the first, like, quarter and a half. That offense is awful. At it least is. they were on Saturday. Yeah. Golly. And and again, they might get better between now and then, but I, I heard a stat. I listened just to the – on the way home, I listened to the call-in show for, I was flipping back and forth between Chris and, and Jack, and then the call-in show for Iowa. And <laughs> Travis and Ross were dealing with a lot of angry Hawkeye fans, as they should be. And uh, I heard a statistic on there, which over the last eight games, Spencer Petrus has one touchdown and eight interceptions over the last eight games. 
Mm -hmm. That's bad. That is very bad. So what do you want to see? What Iowa can still do offensively is they can still, if you let them, they will run the ball 57 times. In Which the they did. I think they did come close to that yesterday. I think uh, here I could pull up their uh, statistics. They did run the football a lot yesterday. Not to a great success though. Because when there's no other threat, you don't have to worry about it. Right. But like when, if there's, if you let them, if you're going to give them four yards of carry, they're going to run off tackle, right off tackle, left, right down your throat, off tackle, right off tackle, left, right down your throat. And that's the way they want to play. But two things will get them out of that. One is defensively. You don't let him that you force Spencer Petras to beat you, which I, he has not shown a capacity to do. The second thing that you do is you put him down by 14 points is yeah. you actually use your offense. Like the thing that Iowa is they're playing with such fire because playing with fire in such a way that their defense is so freaking good. And like, don't take, don't go in thinking this game is going to be a pushover because their offense is awful. That defense is exceptional, but they're playing with fire in the fact that their defense has to be that good because they can't score enough points otherwise. Right. So if you can, if you can score 24 points, do you think I was going to get to 25? Right? No. Like if you can get to the, the win, like the winning number, against a team, you know, you talk about that in basketball, like you're playing Fred Hoiberg's offense. You got to get to like 77, like in order to beat him, you're going to have to get to above 77. So that winning number for Iowa in football is like 23. So if you could get there by being sort of efficient and off on offense, that's going to work. Now, one of the things, so again, the, the thing that you have to do, what you want to see defensively is don't let them run the ball or get into any type of offensive rhythm that allows them to do what they want to do, which is run, 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 play action, run, 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 play action. So force them to pass. The other thing is Iowa's defense is really comfortable when they're the aggressor. And the reason why they can be the aggressor is because they have the best punter in the country yeah. is because most of the time, because no matter where you, not necessarily no matter where you go, if you're, if Iowa punts from anywhere, basically their own 35 yard line on out, Tory Taylor can put it inside the 20. The guy's absolutely phenomenal. So if you are an offense, you're probably not going to want to play the field position game with them. So if you can, even if you're not getting points out of it, if you can consistently drive and put that shitty Iowa offense to start in their own 10, start on their own 13, and then Tory Taylor has to punt standing in his own end zone, then you can actually still sort of play the field position game. So when he pins you deep, which you're inevitably going to have four or five times in the game, don't, like be efficient enough that you can advance the ball out to the 40 to the 35 at least, at least get uh, yeah if you can at least get a first down or two first downs and get yourself out of the shadow of your own end zone where if exactly you punt, you're not punting it to the other 40 you know right and then you can put them inside the 20 and then make that shitty offense move and yeah. if they because they're going to go three and out on at least half of their drives so if you can do that like that's the thing that like i mean imagine every coach in america would love to have tory taylor as their punter because of how much it covers up their bad offense. So if you can, again, on offense, what Iowa state needs to do is one, obviously throw the ball. We talked about it earlier is you got to take advantage of where Iowa playing a condensed three linebacker four defensive lineman front. And if they had a weakness, it's their safeties. 
So if you can get them, get Xavier Hutchinson, get Jalen Noll, get Sean Shaw, Demetri Stanley, if you can get those guys in a position where they're more or less one-on-one with one of their lesser cover guys, then I would even take Xavier over Riley Moss. I mean, he's a Riley Moss is a great kid. He literally came to our business for a long time and is a great family. But he's not, defensive players aren't going to win every single time. And so even if you take Xavier on Riley Moss, throw on him. Like force them to actually make plays in the secondary down the field. And if you can connect on enough of those, they're going to have to back up a little bit. Then you can run the ball, whatever. But secondarily is just be efficient in the way that you're not going to turn it over four times. You're not going to throw an interception like they did against SEMO. Like don't throw an interception in your own end zone or in your own half. You have to make that, make that shitty offense beat you is keep the ball to yourself. Even if that means going three and out and punt, just don't do it from your own 10, you know, do it from the 35 yard line. So this game is going to be played in a way that stacks up at least reasonably well if Hunter can be comfortable and they can keep him comfortable. And if they can do that, then there's, again, they have a decent shot. So uh, this is a an interesting game on Saturday and a lot of things that they can do and like tack, like actually tactile things to go, all right, be efficient here, deliver the ball here. This is the matchup we like here. And then don't let them run the ball. That's as, as best we can do. Uh, the one thing I am interested, you know, we have not recorded our conversation with Scott Docterman yet, but the thing I'm interested to ask him this is a preview, I guess, of this, of that conversation. I want to talk to, to him about that offensive line, because it does seem like that has maybe not the, a group that is good as what you'd normally would expect from them. You know, and that was something that I noticed when I, I watched the Iowa game kind of off and on. I haven't watched it all the way back yet. I was going to do that this afternoon. Um, he was facing a lot of pressure, you know, like it's not like he was standing back there and had all day back there to make these decisions, even if they were the wrong decisions or couldn't make the throws. I mean, he was under duress a lot of the day and had people in his face a lot of the day. And I mean, I just pulled it up. They're out there rushing. They ran the ball 36 times for 57 yards. It's less than two yards of carry, you know? So it's like, that's not what you expect to see from an Iowa offensive line. Because I mean, again, like, Iowa basically if they how often do you think Iowa has ran the ball 36 times in a game and not gotten at least 100 yards I think I heard the uh last year the the commentators in the booth is it Mark, Mark Helfrich and then Noah Eagle uh-huh. uh were the the commentating thing I think Helfrich said in games last year where Iowa ran the ball 35 or more times they were eight no and in games where they ran it 34 or less times they were two and four and that bucked the trend already this year yeah. And I think you can chalk that up. And this is good for Iowa state because Tyler Linderbaum last year. Yeah. We're understanding how good he was. Yeah. Like after one game, they were, they were a young group last year. They returned a lot of those guys this year. And again, I think they were down one offensive lineman, but he's out for the entire season. So it's not like you can use that as an excuse because that's going to be your offense for the rest of the year. Um, So they're, they're, they're young this year, but they don't then have the best center in college football to say, Hey, you, you know, I don't know what they're, I, I don't have their offensive line roster, but let's call them Johnny and Todd are your right guard and left guard. Hey, Johnny, you're coming with me to number 35, Todd, you're going out to the defensive end. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. And then you can isolate him on a nose guard. He's going to push him out of the way that makes space. And that keeps everybody on track when you don't have that you don't have the capacity to then just push people around because you're one-on-one with everybody because they might not be communicated correctly. You are trusting a lesser athlete at center and a a lesser athlete across the board to try and match up one-on-one. And then the other thing, which I think this is more a Brian Ferentz thing, 
that new offense is not a new offense. That new offense is the same offense. They did the exact same thing. They were doing poorly called, poorly scripted plays that are super predictable, that they're not really catching anybody off guard to, and they couldn't establish enough of a running game to make anything work. So you have this, this predictable offense that's not executing well, and even in the situations where they tried to take a shot to throw it down the field, okay, to have your walk-on sophomore wide receiver beat any one of our players, I dare you. So we're going to play one-on-one back here. We're going to play eight in the box. I don't think that your quarterback can beat us. And they didn't. They they showed that that wasn't, they didn't have the capacity to do that. So they were, they were daring Iowa to beat them and Iowa didn't. And they didn't even take the bait to try. They just would still throw these short passing routes and then misread or misthrow the short passing route. So it was poorly called, poorly executed. And I don't know how much better they're going to get between this week and next and next week. I hope not a ton, um, but it's. I yeah, I, say, I, I'm interested I, to see what Doctorman has to say about it and what they what Iowa has yeah. had to say about the offensive line play. I just uh, I only made the joke about the offense or about the changed offense because I just think it's funny that they the idea of revolutionizing the passing attack with a guy from Wisconsin like that just is really funny to me. That <laughs> it's also funny that they got a coordinator to help the coordinator. You know, yeah. like that's more or less. But then they brought in the coordinator who's there to help the coordinator runs the basically the exact same offense. It, it, <laughs> it's just the exact same thing. It's I, I saw a meme. This no, it was uh, uh Adam Kramer. I think is this guy on Twitter. Yeah. And it was a picture of a guy in a red flannel shirt <laughs> holding a red flannel shirt that he just got as a present saying Iowa debuting their new offense. Oh uh, man. I, uh, I saw another, I think he had another one that was really good too. I'm, I'm seeing if I can, I'm seeing if I can find it. Uh, it was something about how they, they went the route of um, having a baby instead of getting a divorce to try and fix the, <laughs> the offense. <laughs> Oh man, I got it. And uh, yeah, and, Iowa. It says Iowa going with the "let's not get a divorce, let's have a baby instead" strategy to fix its offense. <laughs> that's that's really good. I think okay. Again, we're gonna talk to Scott about this. He has got to be on a hot seat. Like the a super Brian has to be on a super hot seat at this yeah. point, right? And if he doesn't, I mean, okay, so we're gonna. I'll do much more digging, but over the five years that Brian Ferentz has been a defense or been the offensive coordinator, Iowa in offensive efficiency started the, the first year he was a coordinator was 44th. Then they were 41st. They got a little bit better. Then they went 53rd, 64th, 90th in their last four years. And then this is the first game of the sixth year. So if they continue this pace, that would probably be dead last. So they would go from 40th to 50th to 60th to 90th to dead last over five years. Imagine being 10% worse at your job objectively every year and getting a raise. Yeah. I know. How, 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 I know, I know. And then, I mean, and then he's an offensive line coach, coaching quarterbacks. Like, I don't know. Like, these are the things that like, I just, I don't understand. You know, I just don't get it. It just doesn't, it is just a weird situation. It makes me glad to have the coaching staff that we do. The guy that they brought in to be this guy who was supposed to help with their quarterback room, like he's from Wisconsin. When when is Wisconsin had a good quarterback since Russell Wilson? And Russell Wilson wasn't even developed by Wisconsin, you know. So it's like, I, it just makes no sense. I don't know, but uh, yeah, these are the things I'm excited to ask Doc about because I know he'll give us honest answers too. 
And it'll be interesting to, to, to hear kind of the confidence level of the Iowa fan base. That's it not, can't be high. Can it, it can't, well, but at the same time, Iowa is a three I, and a half point favorite that did come out this morning. So, but, but they, I but think they opened at six and a half. So it's right. Down. And so this one weekend dropped them three and a half points in one weekend. And so basically they're playing a push because it's a Kinnick. Cause I imagine Kinnick's worth at least three and a half. Yes. So you've got a, a push. You played a neutral site. It's probably Iowa state by one. And the only reason that's close is because their defense is all world. If their defense was average, or even if their defense holds the team to 22 points, that offense isn't good. Generally is not good enough to make up for it. The number but, was the number came out. The total was 41 and a half. And I was like, man, I cannot imagine a way in which Iowa scores enough for it to get to 41 and a half. Like if it's someone betting the over, you're almost betting on the idea that Iowa state's going to score 28 and Iowa's going to score 14 or something like that. You know, it's, I, I think the way that it could though, is the kicking game. If talking about Iowa state, the kicking just kick punting was pretty good. I think they averaged 47 a punt. Yeah. It's 47 yeah. a punt. Something pretty like decent. That. The, yeah. the, for a true some freshman, were, his first yeah, game. So, some were a little, uh, it's good that he actually got to punt this first week and uh, try because I think last time that happened, it was the last time Iowa State played at Kinnick was the Corey, Corey Dunn, Dunn Shank game. Yeah. But that was also the same year that the South Dakota State game got canceled. Mm-hmm. So he didn't get a chance to actually like kick under any type of pressure. So his first go round was at Kinnick under a pressure situation in the shadow of his own goal line. Like yeah. his palms are a little sweaty for that one. Well, and then but, I thought I thought Jace Gilbert was good too. I mean, he never had to kick a field goal, but he had his first couple touchbacks, and then I think they were intentionally kicking it short to try and mm. practice their coverage unit in the second half because they okay. every time they went that way, they kicked it short. Hopefully, that's the case because that made me a little bit nervous that, of the ball not getting past the fifteen into a little breeze because Iowa's special teams very good, other than that one field miss field goal. Special Watching teams, it back very again, good. That defense very good. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that is that is the case, not the fact that they didn't think they could get leg into the wind. So if yeah. if that's the case that they were deliberately trying to work on their coverage unit, I'm much less nervous. Um, but if you're talking about how can Iowa score X number of points, if you if if Iowa State could put the ball on Iowa's own 25 yard line, for I bet you're not going to get more than 10 drives in this game. If you could put the ball 10, maybe 12. If you can put the ball on Iowa's 20 yard line 12 times. How many times do you think they drive the length of the field? Maybe one Look, in a huge missed busted play two. So the way that they can score is Tory Taylor pins you on the three. You don't get any yards. You get a false start and you have to punt from the back line of the end zone and you hit one out at the 33 yard line. Then they can drive. That's how the points can potentially happen. So if Iowa State special teams can just make up for the, again, I offensive efficiency in the way of don't go three and out from your own end zone and just advance the ball enough that your punter can flip it and put it somewhere in negative territory. I don't know what the drive chart, it would be really interesting. If anybody's got this time, I would, I would love this information just personally is if someone had capacity to chart percent of drives ending in points, at different starting points because we had that for ourselves which was if they start in, if you start inside your own five you score points on x amount of possessions if you start from the five to the 15 it's x amount of possessions and that's sort of where the analytics come from of where we should go for it and where we should punt and whatever so you have those numbers i would imagine iowa's it's under 50 percent 
until you get inside the 30 yard line of uh, the, the opposing 30 yard line is probably the only time that it gets above 30, 35%. I mean, they had the ball three times. Iowa against South Dakota state. They had the ball three times inside the 30 yard line and kicked one field goal once they scored one time. They got the ball in the 30 yard line or inside three times scored one total point or one total field goal. They missed one and then they sacked and fumbled their way back out of that position. So they had a negative yard drive starting on the 30 and then missed a field goal for the second one. They were one of three when they got the ball on the 30 yard line. Well, we'll hear a lot more about it from Scott Dockerman here momentarily on, uh, on football and random things on the Cyclone Fanatic podcast network. <laughs>